Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Thursday, September 29th, 2022. Election day is fast approaching. We are now under six weeks until that big November 8th day, which will conclude this year's elections for statewide offices, including governor and lieutenant governor, controller and attorney general, all 213 seats in the New York State Legislature, all of New York's 26 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate seat held by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and more. Democrats in New York have a massive voter enrollment advantage, and they hold all of the statewide offices, as well as supermajorities in both houses of the state legislature and most of the state's House seats. But Republicans hope this year to take back several seats in the state Senate, where they held a majority as recently as 2018, and to win more of the state's House seats as part of retaking the majority there nationally, they hope. And the New York GOP has, since losing in 2018 and seeing a shakeup in leadership, had its sights on this year's governor's race. No Republican has won statewide for any seat, much less governor, since 2002, when George Pataki secured his third and final term. Republicans had thought they would be trying to unseat Governor Andrew Cuomo in his bid for a fourth term, but we know that's not how it's turned out here. Instead, Republicans are trying to break that two-decade losing streak by running Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin against Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul. Cuomo's former lieutenant governor, who is the state's first woman to hold the top governmental post and seeking to secure a full term as chief executive. Today, we're focusing on the race for governor, where it stands and what's ahead in these final under six weeks with one of my favorite guests to chat politics with. It's Bob Hart, the New York political director for Spectrum News, which, of course, includes New York One. He's a veteran of many gubernatorial races here in New York and will join me momentarily to provide some historical context, his insights on this year's race between Zeldin and Hochul. They're hoping that they will be debating on Spectrum News in the coming weeks, the issues dominating the election and more. Very briefly, first, if you missed any recent episodes of the show, I've had some great guests recently. You can check those out at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. I've been covering a variety of policy issues and then also speaking with politicians and discussing the elections that we are in the midst of. But we've been taking a little bit of a break on the election front to get into the beginning of the new school year in New York City, the crisis of the influx of asylum seekers and how the city has been handling that and the issue of how New York can get out of its affordable housing crisis, among other issues. So again, lots of great guests and discussions. Find those at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. You can also find our latest reporting on a wide variety of issues, including just today, a story about how and why Mayor Eric Adams hasn't appointed a fire commissioner uh, in his nine, nearly nine months in office so far. An interesting story there, uh, as he's kept acting Commissioner Laura Kavanaugh in the role for quite some time now, uh, and much more. All right, so let's bring in Bob Hart here, New York Political Director for Spectrum News. Thanks for being here. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm I'm good. And it's like I just like you're talking about the calendar, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. We don't have much time before the general election. It's it's upon us because I think we're focusing so much on those primaries uh, for Congress. 
Right. Me, exactly. Yeah. 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 There were, I mean, we had the two primaries and we had, you know, so there was so much action in the August primaries for Congress. And then, uh, you know, I think people sort of took a breath um, because we did have things like the start of the new school year and other things going on this, this uh, influx of asylum seekers and so many things, but yeah, we're, we're in it here. Uh, we're, we're in it. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, you, tur- you turn on the TV and there's an ad and that's a reminder, yes. I think, for a lot of New Yorkers. Exactly. They get something in the mailbox. And that's sort of like that's sort of what's how I, I you know, it kicks me in the butt every morning. <laughs> Beyond the job is just like, oh, my gosh. You know? right. and, and we're going to focus here on the governor's race. But as I was getting at, you know, there's a lot of competitive house races, most of them outside of New York City, of course, but those are very important relative to, to New York City. And, and I'm, you know, I know we have folks listening outside the city. Um, we, we will be actually looking at some of those house races here on, on the show. And of course, we've got rundowns at Gotham Gazette and you all at Spectrum News are covering so much of this as well. Um, I should note we're speaking here on the day after the latest Siena College poll of the race for governor and other statewide races. And they looked at issues of importance to New York voters. That was, that was really interesting as well. Siena has been the pollster most consistently surveying New Yorkers about this gubernatorial race. Its polls have continued to show Hochul with a comfortable lead over Zeldin, double digits, this latest poll, 17 points. Um, and the, the other Democrats and statewide incumbents also holding sizable leads. Um, so, Bob Hart, broadly speaking here, under six weeks to go, what's your sort of 30,000 foot view on where this governor's race between Hochul and Zeldin stands? I'll also quickly note there won't be any other candidates on the ballot, a rarity. It's been decades since that was the case, but there were new ballot threshold measures that Andrew Cuomo um, pushed through in recent years, uh, mostly to, tr- to try to hurt some of the smaller parties and so forth. But um, there'll be the only two candidates on the ballot. Uh, we're under six weeks. Where's this race looking from your perspective? It sort of reminds me a little bit of when you hear those ads sometimes for in a general election, like the choices are stark. Well, you're right. There's only two choices. So it is stark. There's not like, well, I'm going to vote for this other guy or gal because I, I don't like either one of them. You, you, you have It's a binary choice. That's a really good point. Um, I think my gut is that that Siena poll is pretty accurate, that it that that Kathy Hochul's right now is above 50 percent. Um, and that Lee Zeldin is struggling to hit 40. I, you and I were talking just before we, we started taping. You haven't seen in any of the Cuomo or actually, you know, post Pataki, no Republican has gotten more than 40 percentage points. Uh, Rob Astorino got 40 running against uh, Cuomo. And that's it. So what that means is obviously you need to find that 10 percent somewhere. And that's independent voters or cherry picking from some of the Democrats. And so far, I don't think Lee Zeldin has been able to do that. He has that base, but he needs to build on it. The opportunities are, as you know, is there's a malaise going on right now. Everyone is burnt out, not just New Yorkers from the pandemic, inflation. So there is fertile ground for a challenger to be like time for change. The good news for Kathy Hochul is I think she can justifiably say, listen, I'm not part of Team Cuomo. I wasn't part of Team Cuomo. I was his lieutenant governor. He didn't consult me on anything. All of us who know Cuomo believe that. It's not like she was joined at the hip from him. She was just an appendage uh, very far away. So that's the, the argument I think that Zeldin is struggling to make is that he's better taking the economic reins of the state and that the state right now is a dangerous place, crime's out of control, and he's he's going to get tough on crime. But that Siena poll showed that only 12 percent of New Yorkers have crime as their top issue. So he's got a lot of work to do. And then on top of everything else, as you know, 
Kathy Hochul has the power of incumbency when it comes to fundraising. So she has a huge money advantage. So the one good thing going for Zeldin is I think voters are burnt out. But other than that, these are the same factors that have kept, like to your point, Democrats in control uh, for the last 20 years of every statewide office. So he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. You know, I I thought, well, first of all, you know, I thought going into 2018 that Mark Molinaro would give Andrew Cuomo more of a run for his money. Speaking of money, you know, there was an enormous uh, fundraising, you know, difference and spending difference. And of course, that probably helped Cuomo pad the lead significantly. But that race wasn't even close. Uh, As you said, the closest Republicans have gotten in a gubernatorial race was Rob Estorino at 40 percent, barely cracking 40 percent in 2014 against Cuomo. Um, so I thought 2018 would be closer. I didn't really think Molinaro would win largely because, you know, I mean, it's a very democratic state overall, buoyed by New York city and, and, you know, Cuomo had this power of incumbency, including these huge fundraising numbers, but I thought that race would be closer. And then coming into this race, I kind of thought this would be a fairly competitive race. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the irony is I think Molinaro would have been a great nominee this time around, uh, stronger stronger nominee than Zeldin. I think one of the things that the, the Hochul team has been able to successfully do to hang around Zeldin's neck like an albatross are these statements and positions he has on, on hot button social issues, particularly abortion. Yeah. Before the Ro- Roe v. Wade was thrown out, Zeldin was talking about how he wants to have a state a health commissioner who's who's against abortion for the first time in like the state's history or in many years. And then on top of that, after the right around the shooting, the horrific racist shooting in Buffalo, Zeldin raised questions about red flag laws, uh, which would prevent people who you or I are worried about, uh, like, you know, tipping off the police that, hey, maybe that person shouldn't have a have a gun because they seem like they're insane. Um, And Zeldin raising questions about that. So those are two like ready made attack ads. And we've we've already heard the Hochul team talk about that. So I think not to mention the allegiance to Donald Trump, who's unpopular and and voting, you know, against certifying the election results on the night of the. Yeah. Uh, insurrection at the Capitol where where his, you know, he and his colleagues were under threat. Um, you know, and, you know, and Zeldin did a fundraiser. Yeah. Zeldin did a fundraiser with Trump because he needs money. But, he, you know, he's asked, well, do you want to campaign with Trump? And Zeldin didn't really say, oh, yeah. He was more like, well, we'll, we'll see. Right. So th- these are all the obstacles uh, for Zeldin. I, I, and again, I think your gut and my gut like earlier this year was right. I don't think voters are all excited and rallying around the Kathy Hochul flag. But I just think that Zelda may not be the ideal candidate to face off against her. A moderate woman, uh, I, I th- you know, I think would would be a, a good a good one, a moderate Republican woman. But again, as we know, he was in a Republican primary, Lee Zeldin, and and you're not going to win in a Republican primary running as a centrist. Ask Harry Wilson. So. It, yeah, it was so, it was so interesting how Republicans sort of approached it differently in 2018. Yeah. Molinaro, I don't know how much I'd call him a moderate, but he's somewhere in that neighborhood, and he can credibly run as one. I, I agree. Um, but this, you know, this they had a free for all. It was a very interesting primary. Um, but yeah, winning a winning a Republican primary in a in a pretty blue state is is you know a competitive republican primary is really not going to set you up uh very well for trying to win over the moderate democrats and the independents you need um what but before before we sort of write off zeldin here does you know does this race remind you of any that you've covered is it is there well, it, any reminiscence here of when Pataki first won? You it, know, you, you probably have to go back to like 
Malcolm Wilson running against Hugh Carey. So Malcolm Wilson was like the lieutenant governor forever for Nelson Rockefeller. Rockefeller stepped down in part to try to give Wilson, because he, he didn't want to run again, and try to give Wilson a leg up in 1974. Um, and it didn't work. And so the only thing I can think of is like, when, you know, when did you have a lieutenant governor who really wasn't governor for very long because Wilson wasn't? Um, and then you know, face, you know, uh, face another candidate. So Wilson was like an incumbent with an asterisk. That's the closest thing I have to, to come to mind. And really post Rockefeller, New York and, and the governors, you know, when looking at the governors, you, the only one you have on the Republican side is Pataki and Pataki beat, you know, a three term incumbent. There was huge Mario Cuomo fatigue. Everyone was tired of him. And that's sort of how Pataki won. And then Pataki then tacked to the center, used the power of incumbency and was able to get reelected twice. But like Pataki might be in the outlier for, for Republicans in, in, in New York. And I think it shows like, you know, I'm, I'm not casting shade on Lee Zeldin. He's trying the best he, he can. It's very hard, I think, right now uh, in New York um, to, to run win statewide as, as a Republican. You need special circumstances or you're like you're self-funded and you're like Republican in name only like a Bloomberg. Right, 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 right. Exactly. And, and you know, they had a, a version of that option in Harry Wilson, but not someone who who had a great shot at coming out of a Republican primary. And that's where the party would likely have to step in and say, listen, <laughs> we know that sort of the party faithful in the base might not love this guy on everything. But if we want any chance to really put up a general election fight, not only can he bring a whole bunch of his own money in, uh, but he's the type of, you know, more moderate Republican who is. Uh, you know, pro-choice and, and, you know, has, you know, some sort of more moderate uh, opinions about various things and is not easily tied to Donald Trump and, and so forth that, you know, might might set us up for the best shot. But that's just not where the New York Republican Party is right now. And, and to your point, you know, Pataki being an exception, he's also sort of a model, right? I mean, we don't we don't know how much of a model he should be, but it, but it, to some extent, he's got to be the sort of model for Republicans going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. He he his first term, I would say he was a real conservative, uh, Pataki, mm -hmm. and then he really tacked in a very different direction after that. But you look, you're right. You look at the leadership of the state Repo Republican Party right now. It's Nick Langworthy, um, who is you know a, a real conservative kind of Kevin McCarthy, Donald Trump Republican. You used to have Ed Cox, who was sort of like old school patrician, you know, rich Republican. You had Sandy Treadwell at one point. Um, and the, the leader, it probably is great for your base to have someone like like Langworthy who speaks your language. But you really need to have sort of like, you know, a, a Republican, uh, uh, you know, a, like a Rasputin or, or, or someone who can really kind of thread the needle between policy, conservative policy and pragmatic politics. How and I honestly I think the Republican Party has a fertile ground in New York City with some immigrant groups who aren't coming from traditionally like, you know, liberal places or have a lot of you know questions about liberal leadership. And I don't think the Republican Party here uh, in New York in City, especially, has done a good job at recruiting newcomers uh, who I think some of them who could definitely be part of the party if they reached out to them. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of that going on. I mean, you know, the, 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 there's obviously the, the the ground for Republicans in some ways, as you say, it, it, you know, there's there's a lot of disadvantages, but then there's also the advantages of the increased crime of recent years, Absolutely. Uh, questions about cost of living, you know, 
some of that out of New York politicians' hands, of course, but you know, some of it, you know, related to tax rates and things that people might be, some people might be pretty frustrated about. Uh, Republicans always running on on cutting taxes in New York, of course. Um, you know, some fertile ground there, but I'm looking at the Lee Zeldin campaign and they're hammering away on crime and and the economy and cost of living and taxes. That makes a lot of sense. But then after that, I just don't see much of anything. And I think that's where you get into trouble where you have a candidate who's not really trying to reach across with stances on things like uh, abortion, on things like even some gun control policies, on just a different attitude towards sort of uh, broader immigration issues. Um, There's no sort of thinking about transit or housing or some of these other issues that New Yorkers care about. It seems just a very narrow campaign that I keep scratching my head about and going, you, you got to offer voters a little bit more than this, don't you? Yeah. And on the national front, I, the Republicans have been really good and smart at framing social issues that have helped get them votes. Like, you know, you know, watch, I remember like war on Christmas or this or that or the other thing. It, it's the opposite in New York. I think the social issues are sort of toxic for the Republican brand, like like abortion, for example. Um, you know, Zeldin's at talking about Columbus Day. I don't think that's the winning issue that's going to get you over the top. Yes, it'll energize your base, but I think you're right. And this was like one of the great failings of the Trump administration was he could have been like we, we always joked about the infrastructure week, like when we, when's infrastructure week with with the Trump administration. That was a winning, winning issue for the Republican Party and for Trump. If he'd embraced that, no Democrat would have been able to say, no, we don't want to do this. He could have co-opted. Trump could have co-opted that in the same way. If Lee Zeldin said, like, you know, we need to have a rail corridor from Albany to New York City is is like you know, Andrew Stewart Cousins and Carl Hasty in the who run the legislature are going to say no. It's that that yeah. kind of I, I completely agree with you. You need to be thinking a little bit outside the box and also swing for the fences. What do you have to lose? And and I think there need needs to be some sort of creativity in order for a Republican to win and sort of get Democrats or independents who say, gee, this is sort of different. This isn't what I'm used to hearing from the Republican Party. That's the way you could win. To some of what we're talking about here, and I, you know, I don't think either of us would ever uh, really overweight any one poll. But in this latest Siena poll, the gender gap for Hochul over Zeldin is enormous. Um, it's 61 percent of women uh, for Hochul and 29 percent for Zeldin, uh, while she has a narrow lead among men. I mean, that is, you know, that gets at gets at these issues um, that we're talking about, about choice being, you know, among the top issues that that voters seem to be thinking about. And this is, you know, something, um, you know, perhaps that Democrats are banking on around the state and beyond. Um, there's also, you know, an interesting number in this poll where Zeldin is narrowly leading among independents. Um, I, I found a what I'd, I'd have to look more historically, but I found it a little odd that this poll showed 17 cent of 17% of Republicans going with Hochul. That seems high to me. Um, but but they were very close among independents, again, to the point where Zeldin needs to really be sort of blowing that number open in order to have a real shot here. And that's really, those are the voters that he should really be speaking to. And it seems like over and over again, he's mostly speaking to the base. So, um, you know, indicative of some of the challenges that that he's facing or or <laughs> in, enhancing in his own path, you know, that he's sort of taking these barriers that any Republican would face and making them a bit worse for himself. 
the other thing I think that helps her is like, listen, there's no like, you know, huge love for Kathy Hochul and much of upstate. Um, uh, upstate t- tends to be more Republican uh, for sure. But the one thing that does help her is that she's from Buffalo, which is sort of like, I think this is, this is one of the rare times you've had an ups- upstate Democratic governor in like the history of the state. So when I think a lot of primary Democratic primary voters downstate were like rolling their eyes at the Buffalo Bills Stadium giveaway by by Hochul, that if you say, hey, well, I want to win a few more conservative men in the western part of the state, there's no better way than that. And like, I, you know, I, I don't think we've seen her at a Bills game yet. I'm sure we will. Mm. And it's real. It's not like the Andrew Cuomo's Bills fanship, yeah. which was like, you know, a centimeter deep. And as far as I was concerned, as a fellow, as a Bills fan, you know, Hochul's the real deal. So that helped, that also helps her cherry pick. She's not going to win upstate, but she could do well enough that that's, you know, traditionally where Republicans do well, that's a problem for Zeldin or anyone running against her, to be honest as well. Yeah. And this latest Santa poll has them, has Zeldin with a one point advantage in upstate areas. Um, uh, down in the suburbs again, you know, independent suburbs upstate. These are areas where he needs to um, either win by a small or large margin uh, to have any chance here. So, uh, Governor Hochul has vulnerabilities. You know, as you say, she's not clearly not you know sort of this really well known statewide beloved figure. Um, there are real issues sort of dogging her and lots of Democrats around. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know that it's exactly the economy, even though even though voters say that's their top issue in this poll. I mean, I think that sort of includes a big bucket of issues related to sort of fiscal matters, right? Taxes and inflation and cost of living. And, you know, there are economic issues in lots of parts of the state. But other than, you know, certain places that haven't recovered, like New York City, haven't recovered all the jobs lost in the pandemic, I don't know that it's exactly the economy, although obviously there's lots of parts of of upstate that are still, you know, struggling um, for decades. Um, But but she's got these, you know, vulnerabilities. And also there's been these swirling questions around, you know, her first pick for lieutenant governor resigned quickly uh, on corruption issues. You know, Zeldin talks about that, but that's kind of been forgotten, I think, uh, by a lot of people. She, our colleagues at the Times Union have been doing incredible reporting on a lot of her fundraising, where there's some big questions about sort of a pay to play atmosphere as she's raked in tons of money, including lots of money from people with state business, continuing uh, that that fine Cuomo tradition. Um, are there are there ways that she could be sort of knocked off this lead? I mean, well, well, I think, you know, the pay to play stuff, um, I think you said it best, like she sort of picked up where Cuomo left off. Yeah. I don't know how much that resonates as an issue with people who are sort of cynical about politicians in general. The one thing that she did that clearly they knew was a political liability. And, you know, we, we're just talking about the pandemic now where, where some of the rules, uh, some of the mandates, the mask mandate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she you know took off the table uh, and made it very clear. Also, no masks in public schools. Uh, no masks and mass transit. So that was an issue you heard a lot about from Zeldin. And now all you can hear from him is, oh, well, I don't know if people should be wearing masks in hospitals, which even like, I think people who don't love masks would be like, well, I'm okay with wearing a mask in a hospital while the pandemic is still going on. Um, I do think quickly on that, though, I do think that 
for a bunch of these, I think these independent voters, suburban voters, and lots of upstate voters, there is still this residual advantage for Republicans around some of the COVID mandates. Absolutely. And even if even if scientifically those were still probably, you know, some of them at least were still the right thing to do, including some masking policies. I think especially for the kids in schools. And even though she ended that, she kept it around for a while. And she's sort of, you know, it's just sort of tied to how Democrats, quote unquote, ruled. Um, you know, I do think that that still advantages him, but it would be more advantageous to him if, you know, if, if she had kept it in place. Oh, yeah. I mean, big government, big taxes, trying to control your life. That That's, you know, one, one of the arguments that can resonate with some voters. Yeah. But I mean, she'll be able to say in a debate, um, or whenever, wherever. Yeah, let's that, get to that. In um, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, hey, I followed science, Ben and Bob, and science took me to taking the masks off. And I'm a believer in science. Now we all know, like, if you're looking at the COVID rates, you know, that's been this high or low, depending on if the glass is half full in your mind. Like, you know, we still have 400 people dying a day in the United States from COVID. So it's not like you know, you talk to health experts; they're not like saying, oh, yes, I'm so glad people don't have to wear masks in the subways. No, I've also for saying that. But anyways, Hochul can say that, oh, I was following the numbers, I was following science, and that's why I did it. Uh, and my opponent doesn't follow science or something like something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, OK, speaking of debates, let's let's <laughs> let's get into that. I want to come back to a couple of issues in a minute. But um, so. Zeldin's calling for a series of debates, Hochul sort of hemming and hawing and waiting. Um, but then she agreed to do your debate, uh, Spectrum News. And then Zeldin is saying, uh, nope, I'm not going to do that because I want her to do more than one debate. And I want it to be on, you know, the sort of uh, traditional uh, basic uh, networks. Um where where does that stand? So, Do you have any insights? Yeah. To, be, to be clear, as, as a sponsor of the debate Please. and not to be a spokesman for Zeldin, uh, he hasn't said yes or no to our debate officially. Um, I'm okay. cautiously optimistic that uh, when October 25th happens, he'll, he'll be debating Kathy Hochul. His stance, which I get, is one debate's a non-starter. Uh, one debate on cable is a non-starter, even though uh, advertisement for Spectrum, it'll be streaming uh, above uh, uh, past the paywall. You can watch it on your computer. You can you can stream it on Roku. You can stream it on Apple TV uh, for free. Um, we'll make sure that happens. So we'll we want everyone to watch this debate. Sure. Um, but if you're, anyways, if you're Zelda, you want to have twenty debates because you're you you know you you know that you you need to you're just grounded to uh, to make up. Hoko obviously wants to do no debates. If you know you give her a polygraph test, she'd tell you that. <laughs> but she knows she she needs to do at least one, and so um, you know she, she's at least doing ours. Uh, and she's it's so funny. She's like, well, she was asked the other day about this. She's like, well, there's tradition of one debate yeah. in general. Election. It's like, yeah, the Andrew Cuomo tradition. Yeah. Um, no, you know, that other, made me laugh too. Yeah. yeah other like, hold on other candidates have done a lot more other, other candidates. I, I have to go back and look at Pataki. I don't think in, he did a lot in 98 or 2002. Um, I think he may, I have to look, but Cuomo only did one. And, and you remember two of those general election debates were like the, the, the clown car debates where everyone on the ballot was at the, at yeah. the, at the debate. It was a mess. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and listen, the, the 2018 debate, while it sort of devolved was one-on-one with Molinaro. Right. Um, but again, you know, I, people will disagree with me on this and you obviously should feel free to as well. But, you know, I, I believe in lots of debates. You know, I think even though I, I, I personally think it's a it's about a service to any voters who will tune in. 
There should be a series of debates for these big offices. There should be at least three, I would say. I, I would I would go more towards four or five. Um, and they should be determined to sort of have certain, at least some certain themes, so they're not just repeating themselves. And we've seen some challenges with that, I think, in in sort of mayoral debates where they get asked the same, you know, few top big questions, which I understand why for different networks and, and viewers. But, um, you know, I, I have my own sort of thoughts on what a debate series should look like, but we're way far from that. Obviously, we're looking at, you know, how, how long would your debate be? Hour, hour and a half? It's, it's, an, it's an hour. Um, uh, yeah, and, one uh, one debate for one hour while, while flies by. nothing is not a lot. No, it, it flies by. Yeah. But uh, yes, I'm not going to he- be here to say, no, there should be one debate in every election cycle. <laughs> be on spectrum. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I think, I think it's a, a public service. Some people think debates aren't helpful. I think they're extremely helpful. I also think they help educate if they're done well. They'll also help, help educate viewers on issues. Forgetting about the candidates, uh, it shows how well some of these people perform under pressure. Um, and I, I mean, there's been pivotal moments in history. Like I think they often don't matter in terms of the outcome of a race, but I think they force candidates to think about issues that they haven't necessarily um, uh, appre- you know, comprehended yet. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a good thing. And there are moments, I can especially think in presidential races, uh, I think the Bloom- Bloomberg's, the boomlet for Bloomberg for president yeah. collapsed because of two bad uh, debate performances. And of course, the, the Nixon-Kennedy was, was such a pivotal, the, the, those, those the three debates were so pivotal that you didn't have a presidential debate for 16 years because everyone, you know, one side didn't want to do it for so long. So I, I think they're incredibly helpful. And I, I agree with you. It would be great if there'd be multiple debates in this race. But the, on the other hand, Zeldin, if it is, you know, the, the, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And hopefully they'll at least do one, one debate. Well, so, if he, if he, yeah. you know, he, he's probably play a little game of chicken here, but if, you know, right. if, she, if she's yeah. just saying, take it or leave it, you know, he better take it. I mean, that would be, that would be pretty silly. Um, and, you know, then it would probably be silly for him to spend more than one minute pointing out it was the only debate she's doing because people don't care. You know, people don't want to hear that. We should we should point out you care about it. I care about it. Voters don't say I'm voting for so and so because they debated. They would debated five times, wanted to debate five times. and The other person didn't. No one cares outside of our political intellectual bubble. Right. Uh, it's not a winning issue for voters. I mean, the I bottom think, line is it's it's really a lot of the time it's about pocketbook and and, and safety. Yeah. And, and listen, if you if you get in front of voters and you say, you know, you make your sort of case and you say, I, I wanted to have five of these exchanges of ideas around the state, you know, make one point about that, about right. how Hochul would only engage in one of these. OK, good right. point. Some voters might say, oh, I don't exactly. like that she wouldn't do that. But yeah, you, you got to move on. Um. Yeah, I mean, to your to your point, you know, the debates can matter in terms of voters actually seeing the contrast of candidates in front of them. As far as I'm concerned, we have a voter engagement problem. We have a voter turnout problem. You're not improving that by having fewer debates. You know, right. you have a chance if you if you focus a debate on lots of you know, let's say, quote unquote, upstate you know issues and dynamics. Uh, you have a chance to pull some more people into the process in in some of those regions. You you, you have something you know. Uh, focused on certain themes, like, you know, if you have a chance to do something on like climate transit and infrastructure or something, you know, you have a chance to really draw some people's attention in on certain issues they care about, et cetera, et cetera. But again, that's going back to my my dream for a series yeah. of themed debates. I, I need to correct the record. Uh, there were four Nixon-Kennedy debates, believe it or not. Ah, so we may okay. only have one Zeldin <laughs> Hochul, but there were okay. four 
four um, four debates. Uh, yeah, we've seen that race. Yeah. Well, we've seen that when there was agreement among the candidates, we've seen this series of three presidential debates. You know, that's a good number. We've seen in the New York City system, you know, them doing at least a couple of debates. Um, you know, I was looking at this the other day, actually, the new statewide campaign finance system that's about to go into effect starting after this election requires only one debate. So at least, but at least it requires something. One, so and, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we should point that out. Uh, like, I mean, that if you take money and you're running for citywide office, uh, public money in the campaign finance support system, you have to debate, which makes my life easy, easy yeah. as a debate sponsor, because then I'm going to the campaign finance board and it's basically like applying for col- to college hoping that they say yes you can do one of our debates but then you're not negotiating time or place like the, the candidates have to show up it's it's make your own sunday uh in the in the statewide years for us where it's like you know andrew cuomo would never agree to do any of our uh uh gubernatorial debates which is unfortunate so mm-hmm. um yeah that's the whole other thing but i that's that's a great i didn't know that um, that that's a requirement of the new system. And that, that's a good thing. Like you said, it's only one, but that's that's a start. Yeah, it's a start. And, you know, I mean, again, we'll see if uh, the candidates uh, participate in the system. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ifs, yeah. but but at least it's something. Um, so we won't have to at least hopefully have haggling over even doing one. Um, we're in our last few minutes here. Bob Hart, uh, New York political director for Spectrum News. The lieutenant governor candidates, Antonio Delgado on the Democratic side, Allison Esposito on the Republican side, Delgado had to win a primary. Esposito was unchallenged. Now they're a ticket. You you know, when you go in the voting booth, you're only voting for Zeldin and Esposito together or Hochul and Delgado together. Um, they've been pretty quiet. I mean, they're, you know, they're sort of out and about a little bit. Do, do they, do they matter here at all? You know, Delgado maybe helps Hochul a little bit in some of the I mean, communities he represented in Congress. Esposito, former NYPD official, maybe helps Zeldin a little on these issues, but they're sort of his core base issues anyway, related to public safety and, you know, challenging bail reform and things like that. Any, any, it's such an I afterthought, but yeah, I mean, even on the national level, it, it, it's like you have to go look at like Dan Quayle or like Sarah Palin, where the running mate actually had an impact. In both those cases, it was a, a negative impact for the, the top of the ticket in the New York state. It would have to be like Jay Z is my running mate. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think <laughs> by the way, I think Esposito was an inspired pick by the GOP. Yeah. I think it was a really smart pick. I think, I you know, the times I've heard her speak, I think she's a terrific speaker. I think it's really, really smart to have, you know, uh, a not a non-politician, a crime fighter. Uh, she, you know, she left the force to, to to run. She's retired now, but I don't think like someone's going to be like, you know, I wasn't sure about Lee Zeldin, but because of Esposito, and it's, it's the same thing goes with Hochul. Maybe Delgado helps a little bit with the Latino community, but I don't think like that's going to be the make or break thing for a Latino voter. Like, oh, thank God, Delgado is there. I'm, I, she's, you know, so I think it would have to be someone really. Um, not, I mean, Richard Ravitch but impressed like the, the editorial pages. It would have to be someone of a certain stature, um, I think, for it to break through. And it's it's really in New York. It's not been the case at all for where the running mate has had any kind of an impact. And usually, as you know, the lieutenant governor has been so burnt out with her job, they've quit or they've run right. against their, their, for their former boss, right, right. Uh, which happened to Hugh Carey and, and George Pataki. Yeah. So. Well, and, and hope, you know, sometimes there's regional thinking, which obviously right. comes into play in the vice presidential picks as well. And, you know, Hochul was picked by Cuomo basically to help him improve in Western New York. Um, but you know, there even was, then, it's like, I mean, I'm thinking again nationally, like I guess Tim Kaine maybe helped Hillary Clinton win Virginia, 
but it's like, I don't, I ultimately, I, I think, yes, you want to balance your ticket. You want people in the party to be happy, but I don't think like, uh, you know, I, I mean, maybe well, clearly, help us Cuomo a little bit upstate. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and it was clearly part of Hochul's initial decision to, to name Brian Benjamin yeah. as her Lieutenant governor. And that, that did not work out so well, but she looks like she'll be doing pretty well in New York city regardless. Um, anything that could break this race, you know, a debate moment, obviously. So hopefully we'll all be tuning in to Spectrum News uh, on October 25th. But um, uh, a debate moment, um, you know, I'll say going back to some of the Hochul fundraising stuff and, and you know, people with state business, obviously no prosecutor would be announcing an investigation. But if there was some news that, you know, somehow there was a scoop or a leak or something that, you know, she's under investigation around some of this fundraising stuff that there's been a lot of reporting on that could obviously make some dent in the race. Um but any, any do you do you see any um, October surprises here? Are there any other things we should be watching for? Um, obviously, Lee Zeldin is not going to turn into a different candidate here. So yeah, it, it would be something that um, beyond all their control, like an economic, like an economic cataclysm, uh, something along those lines. But you know, I, I never say never. We've lived in the most insane two over two and a half years of like yeah. insane news all the time. I, I like I said at the beginning of this. This is a ripe atmosphere for an upset um, because of angry voters who are just completely exhausted. That's great if you're a challenger. The problem is that there's still a lot of other headwinds that Zeldin has to has to uh, overcome. Um, and so I, I, I don't I just don't know. It, it, I think you're right. The debate could potentially help him. Uh, or something that you and I aren't thinking about. The thing is, like, usually, though, like, if a dis- God forbid, another disaster strikes New York, typically you rally around the flag, you rally around the incumbent, mm-hmm. oh, that person's acting, you know, such like a leader. So it can't even be something like that. It would have to be more like the Democratic Party on a national level has fundamentally let the country down because, like, the stock market dropped even more, uh, and inflation is surging, and this isn't the right party. There would have to be that kind of a national outrage about Democrats that then he could, that Lee Zeldin could then ride, ride into office on. Yeah. All right. Interesting closing thoughts there. We'll be watching, of course, the final uh, now under six weeks of this election and both covering it at uh, Gotham Gazette and Spectrum News. And, um, and, you know, we'll be hoping that that debate happens on October 25th and we can watch Hochul and Zeldin at least one time on TV uh, debating the issues and their resumes and records and, and so forth. You know, Bob, in closing, the, the other thing that's sort of been eating at me here, um, going back to Hochul, is sort of like the lack of her offering a lot of sort of what a, a full term as governor would look like. I, I meant to mention this earlier, but it, it, it's it's gnawing at me enough. I'm going to take an extra minute here in closing and, and ask your thoughts on this. You know, she's running a lot on sort of what she did in her one year as governor so far and implementing a lot of things that have been in motion, some of which she's enhanced, some of which she's created, some of which are just sort of rebrands of Cuomo stuff. Um, but do we... I mean, do we have a sense of her vision for a full no, term? I, I don't. I think your read is right. I think if you had a focus group of New Yorkers, like, well, what is Kathy Hochul? What is four years of Kathy Hochul going to bring you? It would probably that people would say status quo. But you don't have like Kathy Hochul's housing plan, Kathy Hochul's transportation plan, you know, Kathy Hochul's you know plan to reinvent New York. I haven't heard that either. Maybe it's there and I haven't been looking hard enough, but it's not good for her that both you and I are sort of nodding in agreement about this. <laughs> and I think it, it's like, She's trying to be an incumbent without the baggage of like 
the 10 years of Cuomo and, you know, 11 years of, or 10 years of Cuomo incumbency. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, you know, there's a lot of stuff to implement that's either was passed this past year or right. it previously, but it's not a sort of exciting vision. You know, there's not a lot of vision here being offered about, you know, a big, uh, you know, sort of like, here's, here's the big plan for how we're going to write, revitalize yeah. New York economy and, you know, different it, things like that. It's not the Elliot Spitzer campaign. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it was like after 12 years of Pataki, I've got all these big plans and I'm going to, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a new, new day in New York. You're not really getting that from her. As far as I'm concerned, it's another missed opportunity for Lee Zeldin. So we'll, we'll continue that discussion down the road. Bob Hart. He's got, uh, he's got, he's got a few weeks, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Bob Hart is the New York political director for Spectrum News. Bob, I really always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me.